Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie C. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, December 30th, 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book and we are on page 30, paragraph 3. Today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Carol G., The Twelve Traditions, Diane G., Reading the text, Chelsea H., Sue V., and Marie P. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, December 29, 2014, is 7146. 7146. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence, and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Carol D. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning. Um, thank you. It's Carol G. Recovered, testing out her new spiritual legs, reading the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Anapa. Thank you, Carol G. I will now ask Diane G. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire. Uh, grateful to be here this morning to read the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters of affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has what but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, <coughs> OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create certain board, service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you so much, and I pass. Thank you, Diane G. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, in the Big Book on page 30, paragraph 1, beginning with We Alcoholics are, and I will ask Chelsea H. to begin our study this morning. Thank you, Melanie. Thanks for your service. I'm Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for today. Thank you, Dee Dee. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness, 
Over a considerable period, we get worse, never better. And I'm still Chelsea um, H., gratefully um, living in the solution one day at a time. So this information here, first of all, I see all these controls, the word control, and um, I listen to a lot of audio from uh, teachers of the big book, and these two of these guys uh, say that Bill likes to use different words, but here he used the word control many, many times. And my experience with this um, information here in the text is that I have tried six ways to Sunday to try to beat this disease myself. I have lost the control, the ability to stay stopped. Even as much as I want to, I cannot do it. And another thing that it talks to me about here is that that word ever. It's, uh, again, emphasis added. We talk all the time about how the italics in this book is expensive and all the other things. So here's something that they're emphatic about, is that they said we know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control, will never be able to control, control this thing again, not without help. We're powerless over that. So our mind gets obsessed with it. Our mind gets obsessed with wanting to eat. And my mind, the illusion, which is outside of myself, and I think of that illusion as um, I, like to, I, love, I like Star Trek, and there's the pilot episode in Star Trek that's called The Cage. And it is, the guy in the cage is seeing all kinds of illusions of things happening outside of himself that are not happening. And then the delusion kicks in inside of me, and then I believe the lie that it's going to be different this time. And I go through all types of gymnastics to make it happen. I go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Still on day 90 at midnight, I'm ready to eat. A regular food frenzy, just everything. Then the bulimia and the laxatives, that was supposed to be the other thing that was going to work. So all while I'm practicing these behaviors, the obsession, the only thought that crowds out everything else is that someday I'm going to be able to lick this thing. I'm going to be able to eat. I'm going to be able to go to a drive-thru and not order for fictitious people. I'm going to be able to um, sit down with the family and eat a meal and not hide food for later so I can eat like I want to eat. It never happened, and I've tried. I truly gave it my, own, my great try. I thought I could get a grip on it, but little did I know it had a grip on me. So over and over again, I stopped many, many times only to get a, um, this interval. I love this word interval, that brief interval. That's that lucid interval they talk about later when we get in the book, too. This whole pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization would be me waking up with empty packages, boxes, bags, and just tears. Oh, I did it again. And I thought I had such a handle on it. I really thought that this time moving to another city was going to solve it. Oh, this time the happiness truck was going to pull up and drop off all my happiness. None of that ever happened. And every time I thought it was going to be different. I thought it was going to be different. And forgetting all the negative consequences of my eating, of my weight just ballooning well over 325 pounds and just on my way. And yet and still, those demoralization and pitifulness of pants splitting and all that stuff, I can't draw it into my mind with any sufficient force to remember that I, I decide, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat like this. So it says that, you know, I have to concede deep down inside. I have to go within deep because my mind is different and I need help because once that obsession takes over, it crowds out everything else. And I can, by hook or by crook, I am going to eat. 
And I'm just grateful that's not my experience today. But for what we're reading now, I need to identify in with this now. And I just so appreciate everybody on the line, and thanks for being here, and thanks for letting me share with you all. Pass. Charles H. Anne Marie. This is Charles I heard Anne Marie Charles H. first, and then um, Larry. Anne Marie. Can grab some news here before. Sharon H. Thank you, Sharon. Okay, these are the folks that I have, and I'd like to start with, please. Uh, Charles H., Anne Marie, Larry K., Vasa O., and Sharon H., and we'll get back to the rest of you. Thank you. Good morning, Charles. Thank you for your service. Good morning, visionaries. My name is Charles H. I recovered the visionary just for today, and I knew it would be a traffic jam right here. It actually started yesterday, the traffic jam. This is good money. Um, we had, you know, the word control, as Chelsea said it so eloquently, um, the word control is mentioned in this paragraph four times on this page five times. The reason why is because I have no control, and I have these words and a couple more words on this page 30 um, in blood, in, in, in red, in, in control, obsession, had to, this is the first step in recovery, delusion, uh, has to be smashed, um, convinced, progressive illness. Uh, I mean, I, I hear a lot of noise in the background. Uh, we could hear a lot of noise in the background. Thank you. Um, so I had to fully concede to my innermost self, right, into my bone, into my bloodstream, into my marrow, that this is the first step in recovery, that I don't have any control, none. And if I get a bright idea, I'll be face down again. And as, as it was so mentioned previously so many times, I've stopped millions of times. What keeps me stuck? I'm in my, let me tell you, I'm in my kitchen right now and there's binge food all around me. But this is my place of solace when I get on a vision for you. There's ice cream in, 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 in the, uh, there's, there's red velvet cake right in front of my face. There's potato chips. There's, and I hope I'm not kicking up nobody's stuff. But you know what? This is the first, you know what? I had to fully concede to my innermost self that I am a real compulsive overeater. And I'm not one of them people to be like, you know, I'm the real deal and this and that. I ain't got to do that. My disease convinced me that I'm the real deal. Way over 300 pounds, high blood pressure, uh, high cholesterol, all that stuff. This is paid for the gym for a year. Uh, oh, and look out, you know, January 1st. You ain't going to get no space in the gym, but that's another story. But I had to fully concede to my innermost self this is the first step in recovery, right, that every time I thought I had some control, I lost control. I lost control, and that's why I got this in blood, because you know what? I was taking my own life one day at a time. And like my friend Larry always said, you know, staying abstinent um, without doing step work is like holding my breath underwater. I can't do that long. You know, it's, it's uncomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that me, compulsive overeaters of my type, is in the grip of aggressive illness. I'm I'm a person that lost my leg, so if I don't come here, I'm gonna lose my everything else. So with that, I'm gonna pass. My name is Charles. Thank you so much. A recovered visionary just for today. Thank you. Thank you, Charles H. Anne Marie M. 
Hi, this is Anne-Marie M., Recovered Compulsive Eater in South Carolina. Um, I apologize. That was me uh, making all that noise. Um, I think that's a mute back, but anyway. Um, you know what brought, was brought out to me in this paragraph was how I relate, one of the things that I related to Bill W.'s story. Um, you know, all of us, uh, the, all of us felt that uh, we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in times of pitiful and incompre- uh, incomprehensible uh, demoralization. And um, when in Bill's story, when the stock market dropped the first time, you know, he thought, well, you know, all these people are killing themselves, you know, but not me. Oh no. Um, the second time it happened, he he was contemplating, you know, should I kill him? Should I kill myself? No, I'll just go back to the booth. Um, and you know, towards the end, he was he, um, near near death. And I know that um, with my compulsive eating, it was it was so much the same. Um, you know, right at the beginning, um, when I first started trying to control my eating in my teenage years. Um, lost weight, got lots of compliments, loved it, just loved all that, those compliments. And, um, you know, I had arrived like Bill. I, you know, thought that I was all that. Um, and then um, went back to the food. You know, the um, we talked the other day about the, um, uh, the mind um, and the... Um, how our mind is it's it's a disease that affects not just our emotions but uh you know our minds and I could not get the idea of wanting to compulsively overeat again and I did and I fell even further and then again I got back on my feet with my own control and um I I did it again but at that time it didn't last as long you know, I didn't have a few years of um, I was all that. It just lasted a brief moment. So that's what um, that paragraph reminded me, how much I can identify with um, with Bill W's story. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Anne-Marie M. Larry Kay. Hi, this is Larry. Th- thanks so much <clears throat> for that. Um, Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. So in this paragraph, um, we're learning that whatever we try to control, in actuality, uh, gains control over us. And it's, you know, we know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were, re- we were regaining control. But such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control. So step one is, you know, in our admission of complete bankruptcy, actually gives us permission to relax, to stop controlling, to deal with our fear, and perhaps, you know, for the first time in our lives, take care of ourselves through beginning this process process of surrender and acceptance. And, you know, now that said, you know, step one does not imply irresponsibility or helplessness. So, in other words, step one does not imply that we should simply roll over and die or, or abdicate, you know, give up taking personal responsibility. There's things I can do for myself. God will do for me what I cannot do for myself. You know, um, it's, it's merely an admission that of myself, I'm doomed. My efforts directed solely by, 
you know, my self-will are utterly useless and ineffective. So step one for me is the detachment step, that if I take properly, which I was not willing to do for a long time, will lead me towards the proper use of my willpower. And at first, you know, for me, this step felt dark and frightening because, you know, I was confronted with, with this universal truth of powerlessness, which was at odds with the way I was raised, what, what I was taught. You know, I was the master of my universe, master of my destiny. You know, I could accomplish anything that I set my mind to. Yet once, you know, we fully accept that, we've been merely treading water in the middle of this ocean without a life jacket, drowning. You know, if you picture yourself, fear eventually, the fear of that was supplanted with God's powerful presence in my life. And, you know, in other words, once I stopped frantically kicking and thrashing about, you, know, you picture yourself drowning in the cold, dark water, no boat around. God stepped in and saved me from certain death. You know, but, but I'm drowning in a sea of food and fear and, and hopelessness. Yeah. You know, if, if I quit kicking and flailing, I'm going to experience the ultimate horror of drowning. And, yeah, it, it certainly appeared that way to me. But the moment I detached from ego, which was characterized by my mistrust of God, which incidentally comes as a result of following this practical program of action, subjecting myself to a cleansing process, which, you know, saved me from this hellish existence I was living, then, you know, then I, I began to, to get better. Because temporary sobriety didn't work for me. You know, how did I know that I had temporary sobriety before that? I was still, still trying to desperately control people, places, and things, my children, significant others, work associates. I wasn't free. Today, I'm free. Thank God. God did the heavy lifting. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Vasa O. Oh. Thank you. Good morning, all. Is it Vasa? Yes, good morning. Sorry. I was muting and unmuting. Good morning, everybody. My name is Vasa, and I'm so grateful to be at this meeting this morning. And again, I'm Vasa O, Recover Compulsive Overeater Calling from Florida. And uh, this paragraph, it's all about me. It talks about the powerlessness to control the food over the years and losing the control each time it became so progressively worse that I had no more control. And I came to the point, um, I, I, I remember saying to myself, I'm, you know, why bother? I'm just going to fall again. It, you know, it takes about, you know, I said, why keep on doing it? I mean, I made so many bets with my husband, and I would say, oh, I'm going to get all gun hole. I'm going to lose the weight for this wedding or for the, uh, to get into a nice bathing suit in, in the summer. You know, I had all these hopes, but I, I always failed. And I came to the point, as I said earlier, I just, I'm just going to fail. So I bought that, and I gave into the food addiction. And I said, I'm just going to die you know, fat and miserable, and uh, and my kids are not going to have a mother, and, you know, and I'm just going to die. And again, and then even before I found the program, I remember praying to God and saying, please, God, if you're there, show me where you are, help me. And then not too, too long after that, I was brought into Overeaters Anonymous. And this is where it started 
for me to admit that I am powerless over the food. And I'm like the alcoholic, you know. I I I lost all the ability to control the drink, the food. Uh, no other human power could make me abstinent. No doctor, no friend, nobody. And I did. I tried. It's not like I didn't try and I listened to didn't listen to people, but I could never keep it stopped. And uh, this was the last hope for me. You know, this was the last hope, maybe this. And I thank God I heard the solution in the big book, the allergy, you know. I knew, I, you know, like I didn't know the sugar was allergy, but I know I had the cravings with the mental obsession. I want more and more. Just one is not enough for me. As a matter of fact, I had a food dream last night. I have seven people from my family to visit me from north to Florida. I mean, there's food everywhere here because they all eat different than I do. So I had a food dream. I said, thank God, it's only a food dream. Before, I used to panic when I was newly abstinent. I thought it, it seemed so real and I was so afraid. I didn't want to break my abstinence. But today, you know, it's not a big deal. I know uh, it's God is doing for me what I can do for myself. Yeah, you know, it was easy for me. You know, it was easy for me to admit with a food addiction, and now I have to look at people, places, and things. You know, how I try to control my husband or the kids, or you know, this is where the fourth step comes. You know, surrendering to God with the food, and then gradually with life, my and my life and will, and looking at my character defects. So, but I'm so grateful that we're back again in this, you know, the first three steps, and then, you know, just one paragraph at a time, moving on, moving on, going along. Thank you for letting Sharon pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Sharon H. Good morning. This is Sharon H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And I'm just going to repeat this paragraph because I need to hear it. Uh, we alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We think that no real alcoholic ever recovers. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals were usually brief and were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period of time, we get worse, never better. And I just have on the margin here, heed these warnings, Sharon. These are the facts, the facts, the facts. And God write these facts on the tablet of my heart and my mind today so I do not forget because I did have a broken thinker and a broken forgetter. And I had been in this program for many, many years. And I could get abstinent but couldn't stay stopped. And I could not understand why. And now, um, by God's grace and listening to this meeting, which I started listening to in July of 2012, I have come to understand what was missing. Uh, I didn't believe to the core of my being that I truly was a compulsive overeater, even though I had many, many years in another program and had been set free from that addiction. I just could not 
connect the dots with this program. And so I kept trying to build the foundation on a lie, and it just kept falling down like a, a sandcastle, you know, uh, blown by the wind. And so I am just so grateful today because I am, uh, by God's grace, able to say I am recovered. I have been set free from that. Yes, I will. No, I won't. One more time. I had what I used to call my binge mobile, and I would eat. I would stop on the way home from work, get all those stuff after I'd been sneaking over to another building where I worked to, you know, raid the vending machine because I didn't want my uh, coworkers to see me raiding the one right there by where I worked. And then I would get up the next morning and I would see all these wrappers and pieces of leftover stuff on my seat. And, and I was so obsessed. I would look at that and think, oh, my gosh, where did all that come from? I mean, that's how... That's how disconnected I was, and so. But today I see that that God can heal that mind, and then as a result of that, that body uh, begins to heal because I do not take that first bite, and that's what I always struggled with. And I came in here uh, very demoralized and very. Um, incomprehensible demoralization because I'd been around for so long and I felt so ashamed that I couldn't get this or wouldn't get it or whatever. It doesn't matter today, but what matters today is that I heed these facts, I keep these written on the tablet of my heart by God's grace, and I work the steps because the steps, just like they're laid out in this book, are what set me free. And I am just so grateful to be a part of this program, and I welcome everyone out on the line. Keep coming back. It truly does work, because I didn't think it would ever work for me, and it has. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Melanie. Thank you, Sharon H. Who else would like to comment on what was read? Who we are. This is Bella Penaisho. Leanne. I have um, Julie R., Bella G., and Leanne S. Anyone else? Carol, Carol G. Okay. I got you too, Carol. Thank you so much. I have Julie R., Bella G., Leanne S., Carol G., and Mary A. Good morning, Julie. Hi. Thank you, Melanie, for your service. This is Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. And, um, you know, this whole section of my big book is colored because it means something that I'm supposed to pay attention to. And when it talks about that, we know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. And it brings me back to, I think it's page XXX, where they talk about the five types. And what is that real alcoholic? You know, it's the one that will always have the allergy. The phenomenon of craving is going to develop. And I I don't have it in front of me, but it's um, entire abstinence is the only thing that's going to work. Because I have done this. I have had abstinence for three years, 16 months. And every time I picked up that bite, I went exactly where I was, if not worse. I think I shared after three years, I ate at a um, Chinese restaurant and I binged and purged and gained 100 of my 150 pounds fast. fast. So it, it doesn't matter. It's like today I have 24 hours and today I know I am that real compulsive overeater and I am never, ever going to react differently. So what do I have to do? I have to get this relationship with my creator, which thank God I have that. 
because but I can lose that, and I did lose that after becoming recovered. But it's because I wasn't living in 10, 11, and 12. But back to this period, I mean, this paragraph, over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. So it's that complete abstinence. You know, my my abstinence is black and white, weighed and measured. There is no gray area. And I don't have to worry about it. I can focus on my spirituality. So I'm just excited that, you know, I am that type of the real compulsive overeater that I can never ingest any of my alcoholic foods. And that's okay. I have it around my house. Um, I have people I live with that are not compulsive overeaters. And the neutrality is there. But I'll never forget that it only takes one bite. And I'm going to be that ravenous woman who then will go down a lot of paths that are not spiritual. So this is exciting because I know I can never, ever, ever take that first bite again. And I don't have to. I don't want to. And I just want to thank everybody for being there for me all the times that I needed I needed you. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Julie R. Bella G. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G. And I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Melanie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, such a wonderful paragraph. Ever recovers control. Yes, it brings me back. Before I came to the program, I knew that I came to the program, I want to lose weight, I want to get a very good menu that this time will work, and that's it. I want to lose weight. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that by me, for me, by staying in the program, I just got my life back a gift. I got to live in freedom, in peaceful, and by what? By understanding that ever recovers control. Yes, my problem is not the, the eating. The eating is a symptom. My problem is the control. I wanted to control everything, everybody, all the time, everywhere. And I just, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work because, thank you, God, I accept and admit that I am powerless. And I don't have control. And now I don't need the control. Now that I choose to be connected to God, to a loving power, to an accepting power, I don't need the control. I live in freedom and peaceful. And I will never be recovered of control because control is one of my character defects. And why? Because I am human. And I just get the tools by doing the steps. I get the tools how to deal with love, with, with life, in freedom and peaceful and happiness without the control. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. Leanne S. Hi, this is Leanne, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic in Florida. And um, this paragraph brings to mind my periods of control. And those are the things that kept me from coming into the program wholeheartedly. I'd been in OA since 89, hospitalized, all of that. And um, I was not wholehearted about it because I didn't know. I, I would never study the book like this. 
had done a bunch of fourth steps, which was most like a history. And yeah, it looks like I'm kind of crazy. But, um, you know, I never really was convinced that I was completely mentally ill on the floor. And then on my last attempt, there was a bunch of attempts, and they're all different kinds of things I tried. But my last attempt was the Way Down workshop where I tried to eat like a thin person. And I would watch videos on how to eat like a thin person, on how to leave a whole bunch of food on your plate and walk away and make sure you wear a belt that's a little snug and all of this. I was convinced that I was convinced that, that was my answer and I stuck with that like because it was about putting God in place of food. It wasn't until I truly was convinced that I was mentally ill in this area of my life that I was able to that I was able to get a sponsor and really listen to what she had to say, where I was where I was willing to follow directions, where I was willing to really, really believe that I have no business trying to handle food. It took me about 40 years to get there, but what a blessing when I finally accepted the fact that I'm mentally ill, I'm sick, and um, that's okay because there's help for me now. And then studying this book and realizing all those allergic things I was trying to control. What a blessing. What a blessing to have that knowledge. So today I don't want to get, I don't want to get um, lax or cocky or too comfortable with my abstinence. I have to remember every morning to still ask God to keep me there because I can get so robotic and automatic pilot and, you know, this is just my way of life. But no, no, it's him doing it. And I have to remind myself every morning it's him keeping me abstinent through the bumps. So anyway, thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Leanne S. Carol G. Thank you, Melanie. Uh, Carol G. recovered uh, one day at a time. Um, thank you, everybody, for your shares. I got an awful lot from it. And it's prompted me to share an experience of mine. Everyone's been talking about very similar things. And what popped into my mind was, if ever there was going to be a time in my life where I wanted to be in control of this disease, it was when I was pregnant with my son. Six months before I came to OA, my son was born. Um, and I know for sure today that I've lost control over my own mind. I didn't know it at the time. Um, but when my son was born, he almost died. He had to be taken into intensive care. And the higher power worked very hard through the nurses in intensive care to save his life. And... Why did that happen? Because of my compulsive overeating. Um, and I went into mother guilt and shame and blame until I came into Overeaters Anonymous and found out what I was suffering from. And when he was being resuscitated, I remember lying there swearing to God, if there was a God, I will never, ever, ever, ever do this again. And guess what? In the next 10 minutes, I was eating sugar. And um, nobody in their right mind would do that to themselves. Nobody in their right mind would do that to another person. And I agree with myself 100% today, and this is the freedom for me, is I am mentally ill. We call it a mental obsession. We call it a mental twist. We call it a mental blank spot. I am mentally ill. Whatever the term I use, this is a dangerous, evil, insidious disease, and it has to be stopped. And how does a compulsive overeater do that? The only way I ever found to do that, to get any freedom from this disease, was to find a power greater than me that would do it for me because I just didn't have the power to do it. I'd lost control completely. And God saved my son's life 14 years ago 
and actually he's saving my life every single day but freedom isn't free I have to cooperate with that higher power one day at a time otherwise you know my life would be over so I thank you that Overeaters Anonymous my higher power and all the big book study is saving my life one day at a time thank you everybody and I pass thank you Carol G Mary A Oh, thank you, Melanie. Uh, this is Mary uh, from Philadelphia. It's uh, my first time sharing, um, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I, um, this paragraph uh, is probably one of the most powerful paragraphs in the entire uh, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It didn't even take 11 treatments in-house for me to believe the demoralization, and I couldn't control this. Um, I've heard it said many times in this meeting, um, how low do you have to go and how free do you want to be? And the lowness that I reached was, I, I don't respond to anything. I don't believe anybody with an obsession such as alcohol or uh, compulsive reading responds to anything except low. The low of the low, the bottom of the bottom, and it became a state of a heart for me this whole paragraph that uh, the every essence of my being, the state of my heart had to know and believe that nobody, nothing, no treatment, no doctor, no psychiatrist could help me with this except the help of, of God and the power, the supernatural power of the group. I had to be sold out and it actually freed me. I, I didn't feel shame after this happened, the state of the heart. And that's all I have to share. Thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Mary. Is there anyone else that would like to share on this paragraph before we move on? We are at a late hour here. Lois. Hi, Lois. Hi, good morning, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. I just could not um, let it pass without uh, commenting on the word control and um, and the insanity of, of my disease. That for about 10 years, you know, I, I was in the rooms of OA for 10 years uh, unsuccessfully with, uh, regarding the, the weight. I mean, there were times when I did lose weight, but I spent every day for 10 years trying to control my eating, you know, with a food plan, with a sponsor, with three calls a day. I had, you know, I had a sponsor who had 25 years of back-to-back abstinence, and when I, you know, when I, couldn't make it. I'd call her every. I'd call her every day anyway with my food plan, but and I would be able to spend you know two or three days abstinent, and then I'd lose it again. You know the you know you know the drill. You know the pattern. You know the the sadness and the despair that goes with that for ten years, and and the and the, the robbed robbed me of self-esteem and created all the shame and despair, of course. But then every day when I think about it now, the insanity. You know, I was, you know, I prided myself on my, my mind and my intellect and my ability to, you know, reach most of the goals in my life that I, when I tried to. And, and every day I would say, I am powerless over food. Step one, I am powerless over food. I even started a step meeting in my town because there was no OA step meetings. So myself and a friend, we started one. And yet, you know, I didn't really know and I didn't know, I didn't understand that I was not powerless. I mean, I, I just didn't know. And I, I spent so long saying I'm powerless, and yet 
I didn't understand. I didn't know how to think about that. And it wasn't until, you know, I began to study the big book. And, and I learned, you know, that, that I, have, I have a spiritual problem. And, I, and, and the only answer to that is a spiritual solution. That no matter what I did, and these 10 years of, you know, I would have spit nickels if I could have, you know, of trying to control this food, it never got through to, under, to me to understand the, the mental, you know, disease that I was dealing with. That I, I, I am powerless, and yet, Lois, you know, what do, why do you keep trying to do that over and over again? That God is the only one, my higher power or your higher power for you, is the only one that can remove the obsession of the mind. And thank God, you know, that I was exposed to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps. And, and, and I did find the answer. God led me to that. And, um, and I, I have recovered from this crazy disease of compulsive overeating. I had um, Christmas dinner with my family, of course, and one of my family members weighs well over 300 pounds, and, and she also, two and a half years ago, had an intestinal bypass and lost a lot of that weight, maybe 100 pounds of it, and, and now she's back, well back over that, and she confided in me that she's decided she's going to quit drinking wine because of the sugar. And, you know, my, my heart just sank that, you know, that you talk about, you know, the mental, the, the wine and the sugar is, she's not, she doesn't drink every day, but she does eat sugar every day. The, the mental part of this disease is so bog, mind-boggling. With that, I'm going to pass. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you so much, Lois M. And let's move on to the next paragraph, even though we just have a short bit. Let's go ahead and see if we can begin the study. Suvi, would you please read paragraph 4 on page 30 for us? Hi, it's Suvi, Recovered Compulsive Over Here in Connecticut. Um, we are like men. Can you hear me? I can. Good Hello? morning. Oh, okay, sorry. Just checking. Um, okay, we are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We've tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery, followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. So um, I spent a very, very, very long time not understanding that I was, and accepting that I was truly not a normal eater. Um, you know, I knew I was powerless for a very long time and uh, tried many things, including I was going, including going to Hawaii for 15 years, um, <clears throat> feeling like that's what I needed to be doing, and certainly it was. But nonetheless, you know, it did not, I did not understand how powerless I truly was. And, um, and you know, I say I didn't understand that or get it, but the truth is I had reservations about believing it. And that's the thing that I, I wasn't willing and I didn't think I was bad enough. So I would do half measures. And I'm definitely guilty of that, you know, to my own demise. And that's the, uh, the, the tormentous part of it, I suppose, too, is, you know, it became really, really um, 
a miserable time to be trying to be absent, to be trying to work the program, and 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 then in the back of my mind still have that craving, right, or that desire, I shouldn't say craving, that desire for food. Even when I was out of the food, it was white knuckling it most of the time. So some of the things I tried, you know, I talk about men who've lost their legs and they never grew new ones. And I always think of that phrase, once you're a pickle, you can't go back to being a cucumber. Um, you know, I didn't get how truly, how true that was for me. And it is so true for me. And I know it today. Not only do I know it, I have admitted it to my innermost self, right? They talk about conceding to our innermost selves that I am a compulsive overeater and that there are certain things that I cannot pick up. I always wanted to be like a normal eater, even through all my years in OA, those moments would come up where I didn't want to be, you know, who I was. I didn't want to, you know, be different from my other friends um, because I saw them being able to eat with impunity, right? But that's not who I was but I just couldn't. I didn't want to face it. Um, and, you know, there's also some truth to the idea that there was still something in it for me, I guess. I mean, there was still something in, in it for me for compulsive reading. Until the consequences got bad enough, I just couldn't face it. You know, I couldn't face it, wouldn't face it. So thank God this program is here for me today, you know, is here for me, was here for me when I was finally you know, willing and ready because um, it's the people on this meeting that have helped me to truly be able to live this program the way it's meant to be lived, to follow the big book and I've gotten to work the steps and this is my first abstinent holiday in many years, many years. And um, I no longer, I don't fear food. I don't feel uncomfortable. I don't care if I'm like other people with eating. None of the food around bothers me, you know. But, it's, you know, it's conditional on my, the maintenance of my spiritual condition. It's so important for me to know that. The thing I do different today than I did for all the years I spent in, in my program is that I really work my 10 steps to the best of my ability, I work 11, and I pass the message. I carry the message. I sponsor people. That really helps me a lot. I listen to this meeting, and um, it's the grace of God, you know, that I that I found this. So I'll pass with that. Thank you. Thank you, Suvi. And so many will want to share on this paragraph, and we only Mary have room B. for just one moment, please. I wanted to let folks know that I have room for two to share, and I did hear um, Naomi and was that Marie? Mary. Or Mary. Mary. Okay, I heard Naomi and Mary. Those are the two I'll be able to take. Um, hopefully the rest will be able to share next meeting, and perhaps we can revisit this, this um, tomorrow morning. Good morning, Naomi. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you so much for your service. Good morning, visionaries. Well, this the sentence that jumps out to me is making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Well, I I decided I was going to make a normal eater out of this alcoholic, and I had a lap band surgery. And in the beginning, it did work. And But the lap band really should have been put around my brain. It was put around the top of my stomach to make the opening smaller. But as a compulsive overeater and a food addict, which I am in recovery, thank you, God, every day, um, I was able to regain like 38 pounds because no matter what, how they altered my stomach, it didn't change my brain. 
and in learning and studying this big book every single day with my visionaries, I I have a mental twist. I have that blank spot. I have a mental twist that says, you know what, you go for it. And no matter what it would be, I would never. There would never be enough food. And that mental spot, it I, it makes me forget that that last horrendous binge. And I'm very thankful for this program. And thank you for allowing me to share. And Melanie, thank you for all the service you do on this line. We just love you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Naomi B. Mary, I think it's Mary yeah. D. Yes, Mary B. Hi, this is uh, Mary B. in Santa Maria, California. Good morning. And uh, Melanie, yes, thank you so much for your service. Um, this whole section I uh, have heard read at meetings over the years so many, many times. And this part of the paragraph, we are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones became very real for me years ago when my mother, who had vascular disease, had her leg amputated. And they did everything to try to save her leg. And of course, before that, um, doctors had warned her and told her, walk, exercise. And she was a compulsive gambler who sat in the uh, poker parlors day and night, and uh, drank coffee and smoked cigarettes. So that was her life, and uh, she couldn't change it, and she didn't change it. Anyway, um, once she came out of surgery and I saw her, I, I immediately thought to myself, wouldn't she want to turn the clock back and change her life wouldn't she today want to go back and make sure that she ate healthy and and that she followed the doctor's directions and got enough exercise and uh, walking and um, anyway, this became so real to me and it has been an inspiration for me to take better care of myself. I'm 77. My mother did live to 90, and she actually lost a second leg. She was not in good health ever, but somehow she made it to 90. And I make sure that within my uh, food plan, I choose healthier food, and uh, then I make sure that I walk. I have a dog. I have a greyhound, and Someone said to me, if you adopt a greyhound, don't they need a lot of exercise? And my answer was, I hope so. And uh, and I often think of my mother, and I always think of her when I hear this paragraph or read this paragraph in the big book, because I can never turn the clock back, and I can never undo the damage. I've been very blessed. I'm a very low-bottom binge eater. And yet I have, uh, my body has recovered. And um, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful for this program. Thank you. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much, Mary. And that does bring us to the end of our meeting today with only just a few shares. But I wanted to reassure the um, attendees today that we will revisit that particular paragraph, paragraph number four, tomorrow in our study. So please return for that. And um, thank you again for everyone that shared this morning. And we will close the meeting with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer.
Well, Marie P., please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, this is Marie P. Thank you, Melanie. I'm a compulsive overeater, recovered. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.